Well, uh, as Pastor Reddy uh, alluded to as he welcomed me back, uh, it's very, very good to be back. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as our lead pastor. And uh, one of the gifts that Redemption Hill gave to me and something we want to do for all of our full-time uh, staff in the days to come uh, was a sabbatical this summer, a season of rest. And so for the past 11 weeks, we were here last Sunday, I didn't preach, but uh, the previous 11 weeks, we had the opportunity just to unplug and to uh, spend time, extra time with God and extra time with one another. We did some traveling to see some friends and family. And I uh, just want to thank you for that time, how life-giving it was for me personally, but also our family as a whole. And really, the, the primary purpose of a, of a sabbatical for a pastor is vocational rest, just to, just to decompress. Pastoral ministry is, is fast-paced and so many opportunities and needs, which we love. And yet, uh, this is about the long-term journey. So many pastors burn out and don't make it to the end. And so the vocational rest was a true gift. Uh, but, but more than that, just time with God day by day, taking spiritual retreats and spending extra time with family and uh, even working out a little bit. You want to see some push? You know, I, I did get in the gym. You know, because some of you guys knew that I was going to try to work. Come on now. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, 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 no. I, I didn't do those. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, uh, I, I did my best to work out. Uh, you know, I'm not clearly not too transformed, but, um, but I, I did something, you know, I did something, so thank God for that, uh, just that, but it was really, really, really and truly a gift from God and a gift from you, and so thank you for that time. Well, uh, if you would, go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 15 this morning, studying verses 1 through 7, and I want us to think about the idea of a sound resounding as we look at this passage. I want you to just say that word with me, resound. All right, let's try it again. Again. That's a little better. Right? You're, getting the, you're getting the idea, right? So let's just try something here, all right? Um, if everyone to uh, my left, which is your right, um, if, if you would say, welcome back when I point to you, all right? And then uh, on this side, we'll go Pastor Tanner, all right? So let's just, let's just, try, let's just try this, all right? Welcome back, Pastor Tanner. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you. Uh, let's, now, now let's, let's try it this way. When I point to you, say, you're, you're part, all right? Welcome back. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's have even more fun, right? The theater's kind of cool the way it's divided up and... I can't wait to see God fill this place. I mean, it's already pretty full, but we'll fill this place up with every person in every seat. Um, let's go top left. I need you to be loud. This side, left of me, right of you. Let's go upper section, welcome, back, Pastor Tanner. All right, can we do this? Just try it. Just having, just having fun here this morning, all right? So when I point to you, just... Oh, come on, we got to start over. You guys weren't ready. I know you're the first group, all right? But you got to be a little more prepared than that, all right? So let's do it again. I'm so humbled. It's just so good to be back, you know? I mean, I can't believe the reception here today. Um, now, let, let's just try, uh, let's try that again, you know. Oh, you guys weren't ready. Come on now. All together. Welcome. 
you, you, you see what happens, right? You see what happens when there are competing voices, there is the presence of dissonance or distortion, right? When we all say the same, when we don't, when we don't say the same, when we all say something different at the same time, there's the presence of, of dissonance or distortion, but when we all join our voices together, there is a sound that resounds. Have you ever been to a concert, maybe at the garden or a conference singing a song or a sporting event where everyone just with one voice is lifting up together the same sound, the same shout, the same song? So good, so good, so good. Anybody maybe heard that from blocks? So you haven't been to Fenway? Park. That's, when you go to Fenway, they sing Sweet Caroline, and it's amazing, and so like, you can hear from blocks away. That's the idea of a sound resounding, and it's our greatest assignment and our greatest privilege in life to let our voice resound to the glory of God. That's what Paul is going to communicate here in in Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. He's going to encourage us to let our voice resound to the glory of God. So I want to read these verses for us as you follow along and listen uh, to me read them for us. So here's here's what Paul says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. These words teach us how we as a church family can let our voice resound to the glory of God. And I believe Paul gives three ways here to, to help us move toward this one voice together, okay? So we want us to think about practicing selfless love, open arms, and having one ambition, all right? Selfless love, open arms, and one ambition. The first thing that he would say to us right off the bat is that we need to practice selfless love, you see, if you, if you kind of caught as I was reading through, there was an issue in the church at Rome. How many of you know that people have issues? Any, anybody? Anybody know that? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, some of you are like super high. Like, yeah, you're right, you're right about that. Um, how, how many of you know that churches have issues? 
All right, yeah, well, I hope it's newsflash, right? You did, if you didn't know, now you know, okay? So, and then this is a correlation. You know, a church is not a place you go. It's, it's actually the people that make up this, this group that follow Jesus, okay? So if people have issues, then churches have issues, right? In fact, you know, we just say, like, if you think you're perfect, then you're not going to fit in around here because our church is full of imperfect people. We're going to fail one another. We're going to fail God. We're not going to live even up to our own standards. So you can bet that there are going to be some issues that arise in our lives and in our churches. And the issue here, believe it or not, are you ready for this? The issue was food. Anybody like food here today? So, so here, here's what's going on, all right? Um, there were two groups of people. Paul calls them the strong and the weak, all right? And, and it wasn't that they were um, at, each one of, uh, at each other because, you know, like one group wanted to go to Oasis after church and one group wanted to go to Tanakh, all right? But they actually both wanted to go to Oasis, and that's a good start. I mean, amen. Can I, can I get a witness from my Brazilian brothers and sisters here? Today, I got a little Brazilian blood in me. I know that much. And the reason I know is because when I go, I'm like the strong side of the church. I'm saying, don't just give me the salad bar and the veggies, all right? I'm going for that sirloin, medium cooked, uh, cut, and, uh, and then also give me that, chick, uh, that bacon wrapped in chicken and maybe some of that pork sausage. I'm just saying. You know, I mean, Oasis is on Main Street, and uh, we'd love to go sometime if you want to go. It's just really good food. But, but the, the weaker group of brothers and sisters said, you know what? We're only going to eat veggies. And both groups, listen, both groups did so out of a desire to honor God. This is exactly what the chapter before tells us. And by the way, just a little tip. If you don't know what's going on in any uh, portion of the Bible, just uh, keep reading or maybe go back and read what was just before because usually the context will bear it out. So if you go back to chapter 14 and you see in verse uh, 2, it says this. One person believes he may, may eat anything while the weak person says uh, eats only uh, vegetables. And so you see, see what's going on. They're saying, you know what, maybe because of their religious past, maybe because of some previous practices, they thought if they ate meat, they would dishonor God. While that was the weak people, the strong people were saying, you know what, God's given it all to us as a gift, so let's like bone appetite, you know, like let's enjoy. And so that's what's happening here. This is the issue. Both groups were guided by their convictions, and that's a really, really good thing. I would say that's a really, really great thing, to be guided by convictions with that conviction to honor God. But what was not good nor great was that their convictions were not covered in love. Their convictions were not covered in love. And Paul shows us, shows us this in verses 1 and 2. He says that, those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and what? And not to please ourselves. So there was, there was selfishness in the church, not selflessness. They were out to, I, we're right, we know what God wants, and so we're going to do our thing. Irregardless of how you view this meal. And he goes on and he says the consequences of that are, that, that, that we're not pleasing, verse 2, not pleasing our neighbor for their good to build them up. 
And so the, 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 the crucial issue here was not simply what they put in their mouths, but what was coming out of their hearts. While there should have been a desire uh, to, to build the those up around them, to to love their neighbor as themselves. I mean, love is all over this this passage, even though the word love is not mentioned. Because when when Paul's saying that you should seek to please your neighbor, he's echoing what he's already just said in chapter 13, where he says that the only obligation, the only debt that we have toward one another is to love our neighbor as ourselves. For the whole law, everything that God wants for us is summed up in these two commands, to love God and to love one another as we love ourselves. And so what is love? Love is pouring out. It's giving of oneself for the sake of someone else. And this is our greatest calling in life. But when we fail to do so and when we live selfish lives, what happens, and we need to not miss this today, okay? Unchecked, or we could say unconfessed sin, multiplies. Don't miss that. Unchecked or unconfessed sin will multiply. It starts with selfishness, but then that selfishness starts to manifest itself in quarreling. Check verse 1 of chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinion. So there's quarreling, there's arguing, there's bickering, there's disputes. All right? And then he goes on in verse 3, and he says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And so not only are they they at one another in conflict, but they are also looking down on one another and passing judgment. I am superior than you. You don't know what God wants. You're not walking in step with God. You need to be taught. You need to get informed. You don't have it like I do. And their sin multiplies. If our liberty leads us to harm someone else's face, face, our apparent insight actually proves to make us fools. It's good to be back. I love you. But God, God has a better way. God has a better way. His vision in our assignment is to pursue relational unity. And he says this in in a few different ways throughout this section of Scripture. Okay, in verse 2, he talks about pleasing our neighbor for their good to build them up. And so our call is that in our relationships, as we're spending time together, as we're going to eat or hanging out or coming to church, whatever, it's to strengthen one another and encourage one another and, and work for God's best in each other. We want to see each other encouraged, pressing on, living life the way that God wants us to. And then in verse 5, he, he talks about living in harmony with one another. And if you look at that literally, it can be translated to mind the same thing among one another. And let me explain this, okay? That does not mean that we will agree about everything. It doesn't mean that we will always have the same perspective. I mean, just to get just, to get, just kind of down to the you know, nuts and bolts of, of what this might look like, okay? One person says, you know, I can watch that movie to another person that violates their conscience. To, to, to one person, I can spend my money on this, to another person, like, that's bad stewardship. Why are you doing that? 
to another person, like visiting that business. And so there are areas in life that, that require wisdom. We sometimes call them gray areas. As the, the Bible hasn't prescribed like, hey, you, you, like it's wrong to, to drink that or eat that. And so, but, but for some people, they feel like it would dishonor God to drink that or eat that or buy that. And so that's who Paul is calling the weak, that, that they have a weaker conscience before God. But the point is that they're trying to honor God and how they're living their life. And so if you can eat, drink, buy, whatever, a visit, then our job is to build them up by saying, hey, they want to honor God just like I want to honor God. So ultimately, the most important perspective is shared, and that's what's going to bring harmony between us. And so we mind the same thing. Verse 6, it says, together, this idea of resounding with one voice, not dissenting, not distorted voices, not competing voices, but one harmonious voice. We are saying the same thing together so that we can bring honor to God. And so I want us to think about this real quick. We, we should pursue this through the practice of the obligation of selfless love. Practice the obligation of selfless love. Now, I know when you hear the word obligation, you start saying, like, Pastor Tanner, um, things that I'm obligated to do are things that are just absolutely joyless, and I'm doing them just because I have to do them, not because I want to do them. But Paul says right here that the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So what does he mean? We'll look very closely. An obligation is a commitment. And if, and if I've committed my life, the entirety of my being every single day to love God and to love you, then this obligation is one that I love and desire. This obligation is one that I'm running toward with joy to say whatever I can do to lay down my rights for the sake of someone else. If it offends you, like Paul says in another letter, if it, if it offends you, if I eat this certain kind of meat, I will never eat meat again. That's the kind of love that's flowing from a heart that's been captivated by God. That's selfless love. Selfless love says, I will forsake my right to watch that movie, listen to that song, purchase that item, drink that drink, visit that establishment, if in any way it hinders your relationship with God. I will forsake my rights and freedom. For your sake. That's what Paul's after. And I just love, I just love how countercultural this is, right? I mean, we live in a culture, we live in a world that says what? The strong should be served by the weak. But here, Paul flips it on its head and says, the strong should serve the weak. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus Christ did. This is why we sing in Christ alone. For he, though he was poor, 
I mean, though, though he was rich, he was rich, he was very rich. He, being God, for all eternity, the Son of God became poor, became like us, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And so now it's our privilege to also follow in his steps, to practice the selfless kind of love that Jesus did, to, to follow in his example, as Paul points out in verse 3, in verse 5, and in verse 7. And so where this, this ultimately goes in this example of Christ's selfless love is Paul gives us this picture of open arms. To, to practice uh, opening your arms to one another because you're exercising selfless love. So Paul starts in verse 3. We see the first two words. He, he, he grounds his argument when he says, hey, strong people uh, serve the weak people and don't pursue your own pleasure but pursue their pleasure and them being built up. He says, for Christ. For Christ. These two words, some of the whole of our lives, for Christ. Did what? He did not please himself. Jesus lived his entire life not first seeking his own pleasure. He said that I came to seek and to save the lost. He said that I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so now what Paul does in verse 3 is that he quotes the Old Testament, a, a, a chapter in the Bible, Psalm 69, that is so frequently quoted as pointing us to the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and especially in connection with his death on a cross. And he quotes verse 9 of Psalm 69, which says, the reproaches of those who reproach you, God, have fallen on me, Jesus. In other words, Jesus was often second-guessed. He was often chided. He was often insulted. Oh, you're an illegitimate child. You, they say that your mom was sleeping around and all the way to the cross, where they spat upon him, where they mocked him, where they hurled their insults like darts again and again and again. But have you ever thought about how the place of Christ's greatest humiliation is the place where he is opening his arms to the world? Rather than retaliating, rather than calling out their wrongs. He simply loves them. And he says, you're welcomed here. You're welcomed home. You're welcomed in my presence. If you're brand new to Christianity, or if you're not at all, we all need to hear that the entire story of the Bible is about a God who has opened his arms to us. I don't know what your picture of God is, but I know so many people, and perhaps this is you to a, some degree this morning, you look at God as some heavenly being who has his arms crossed with a scowl on his face just waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you. 
but our God. Our God is a God who has opened his arms. And he never takes them down. He's, he's wooing us. He's inviting us back. If you want to know the reality of the situation, the reality is the reverse. God's arms are open. We are the ones who have crossed our arms. God, you don't know best. You're not for me. I know better. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm rejecting you. This is our issue. This is our greatest problem in life. And that attitude, that disposition, those actions are what separate us from God. And yet God still opens his arms to us and welcomes us back through the cross of Jesus Christ where we deserve death and separation from God for our sins. Jesus says, please come home. The Father's heart is for you. He loves you. He made you for himself. Just turn back. Just experience his love. Just experience the life that Jesus died to bring you, that we sang about so powerfully, by the way. You're sounding good this morning. Listen, maybe this is you. Maybe this is you for the very first time. You would say, you know what? If I'm being honest, like I've viewed God more like that, and I've never really aligned my life with, with God and what he wants for me and has planned for me, and I need to come home. It's as simple as recognizing that and saying, God, forgive me. I'm sorry for living my own way, for crossing my arms at you and accusing you of so much wrongdoing and, 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 and not being good and not being loving. And saying, I'm coming home through Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. If that's you today, would you please, please, please voice that to God and experience the salvation that he offers you through Jesus Christ. God has opened his arms to us. And so Paul, for a very strategic reason, says, like, if you want to practice selfless love and you want to have open arms, uh, then look no further than Jesus, because Jesus is our greatest example, and it's in the example of Christ that we find every motivation to actually live this out on the day-to-day. Like every single day, every single moment, this should be the desire and the motivation of our lives. And Paul is so, so, so wise and how in the Spirit, obviously inspiring Paul to, to record these words, but don't miss what Paul says and what he does in verses 4 and 5. I love this. He, he quotes the Old Testament and then verse 4 is kind of parenthetical. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, hey, he's just going to drop this thought in here, and he's then going to pick back up. All right? But what does he say? He says um, in verse 4, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. What is he talking about? Answer. He's talking about 39. He's talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament. He's talking about the whole summer series that we just went through from Genesis to Malachi or uh, Genesis to 2 Chronicles, like John uh, pointed out in the Hebrew Bible last week. All right? Is, is all of that is not irrelevant, it's perfectly relevant. It's for us today, it's for our instruction. And what is it designed to do? It's designed to encourage us and cause us to endure that there is a great hope before us. And so I just gotta tell you, 
just let me testify for a moment. I just got to tell you, I have so many friends, other pastor friends, like, oh, Pastor Tanner, how long is your, uh, you know, the, most pastors don't call each other pastors. Sometimes we do, though. Um, like, Tanner, you know, like, how, how, how long is your sabbatical? 11 weeks. 11 weeks? You're going to take 11 weeks? I mean, here's this confession moment. A lot of times pastors think they're more important than we really are. Just, just a confession. I mean, for other pastors, not for me. Um, so, but, but the implication was like, like, aren't you worried? Like, like what, if, what if things don't go well? Like, what if something happens that you need to know about? Like, are you going to be checking in every week? Like, what's going on? Like, how are you going to do that? No, I'm not checking in at all. And one of the reasons that, that I had such a peace and even an excitement about this, not because I just knew how, how life-giving that was and mentors said, hey, you need this, and, but, but I viewed it, listen, I viewed it as an 11-week spiritual retreat with God. More time in the morning just to dwell in his presence, just to receive from the word, just to pray and to, to sing songs of praise and to let the presence of God wash over me, to fill me with the spirit again day by day by day, to go to Vermont in the Green Mountains for five days for a spiritual retreat, just me in a cabin with God. I mean, I did go to a coffee shop a time or two uh, just to get out of my own presence, you know what I'm saying? And, and God's not, not, not out of God's presence, thank you, Lord, because you know how that works. But, um, but, but I just wanted to spend time with him. Do you know that every time you open this book, you are coming to the very heart of God? And you, you are essentially, when, when our heart is right, we are saying, by opening this book, God, flood my life with encouragement and endurance to help me press on. That's what we're doing. When we show up next Sunday, we're saying, God, flood my life with endurance and encouragement and hope to help me press on. Paul's so smooth. And how he does that. But he not only says something, quoting the scripture, he actually does something. And if you don't read carefully, you would miss it. What happens in verse 5 is what? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live with such harmony. Is Paul preaching or is he praying? Is Paul preaching or is Paul praying? You can say the answer. What's he doing? He's praying, right? He's praying. He's praying for them. Because he knows that if any endurance or any encouragement or any hope come into our lives, it ultimately has to be because God is giving it to us. And so it's, it's, it's in the seeing of God. Vision of God is everything. I cannot wait for next week. Vision of God is everything. But it's when we see how he's welcomed us, that we're in a position, that we're properly motivated then to open our arms to one another. We are an open arms church. If you're new, let me inform you. If you're not new, let me remind you. We are an open arms church. We open our arms to any and everyone every single Sunday. But it's not, it's not just on Sundays, but we, we don't think Sundays are actually enough. And so we get together throughout the week in what we call groups so that we can open our arms to one another 
and experience life together as people who are after ultimately the same vision. And so this is where God does some of his greatest work. Let me, let me tell you why, all right? This is why. When, when two or 12 or 20 people walk toward one another with open arms, we're saying this, I am ready to share my life with you. And not only that, this is where God does his greatest work because God has made us for this. So often you've probably heard us say that God designed us for relationships because he is a relational God. God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a relational being, and so we, being made in his image, have desires to relate to one another. In fact, if we didn't have uh, relationships, it would do something to our very souls, right? And this is why when we isolate ourselves or when we withdraw from people, that, that all of a sudden we get down and we get discouraged and we lose our perspective in life. Why? Because God designed us for relationships. But listen, we're not only designed for relationships, but as I read in a book this summer, The Relational Soul, we are also defined by our relationships. Not just designed for, but defined by. And why is this? It's because God has made us permeable beings. When we spend time with one another, we will necessarily, to one degree or another, influence one another. And so the authors say this. They, they, they say we are not static, impenetrable beings. We are embodied souls, and our souls are permeable all the time. And so when we open our arms, this openness communicates all the best qualities of relationships. Vulnerability, trust, mutual love that's pouring out and receiving and receiving and pouring out. And by the way, I know we're all thinking like horizontally right now, but this is the same for our relationship with God. If we believe that God has open arms to us, then we will be vulnerable with him. And we will trust him more. And we will love him more. And we will receive his love more. And we will be influenced by who he is. It's the heart of worship, what it's all about. And so when we move toward one another and we open our arms toward one another, then, then what happens, as we talked about a lot this year with our 2019 vision, the power of we, we, we see that the Christ in you stirs up the Christ in me. And the Christ in me stirs up the Christ in you. We were never meant to walk through life alone. I'll say it two ways. Life is too hard to walk through it alone. It's too hard. Life isn't perfect. We need one another. But I'll, I'll say it in another way. Life is too good. It's too good to walk through it alone. So in, in Romans 12, verse 15, if we go back, it would say, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Share life together because we really, truly need one another. God designed us for relationships, and he designed us to be defined by our relationships, to influence one another in helping each other in this journey to ultimately have one ambition in our lives. And that one ambition 
is to bring glory and honor to God. This is what Paul says in two ways, back to back, as he closes this little section. In verse 6, he says that together you may with one voice, what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he says what? Therefore, summing it all up, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. This is why we exist. God made us to know how amazing he is, how great he is, how glorious he is, and to not just know it and to see it, but to enjoy it and to be moved and transformed by it. This is what he says in Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7. He says, uh, call Bring my sons and daughters from afar, from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. This is why God has made us. But it's it's not only to see his glory and enjoy his glory, but it's also that we, with our very lives, can you believe it? I mean, isn't it nice that God takes the guessing game out? Like, this is one of the ultimate questions of life that every person on the planet, including every uh, religion, seeks to, to answer. Why are we here? Well, God has given us the answer. He made us to worship him. He made us to, to point to his greatness, which is now our job as we experience the glory of God in the face of Christ, now we get to reflect his glory in everything that we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whatever you do, whether you eat, Roman Christians, or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our work lives, how we live on our phones, all of our relationships, what we watch, where we go, how we talk. Do all to the glory of God. If you can't do something for God's glory, it is not worth doing. Now, real quick, let's ask a theological question here. In what sense can you glorify God? Because what we learn about God is that the very nature of God means he's perfect in who he is, and he is infinite in all his perfections. And so I'm not a, I'm not a mathematician, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't have made it into MIT and this and that, all you smart people who've graduated from Tufts and this and that. Um, but uh, I, I did have pre-cal. My FCA sponsor was my teacher. She helped me out and make it through. I did, yeah. Anyway, um, so... But I know this, you cannot add to that which is infinite. If God is infinitely glorious, then how can we glorify God? We don't add to his glory. God doesn't need our help at being great. He is great. And so in what sense do we glorify God? We don't add to his glory, we reflect his glory. We point to how glorious he is. We just, we just point. 
People see the way that we live. Let's, let's bring this home, right? Let's bring this home. As we talk about living in community, as we talk about living harmonious lives, as we talk about opening our arms to one another, okay, this is how it works. When you welcome someone with open arms, that welcoming is like, I love this, this, this vision, this illustration. It's, it's like a window. You don't look at a window and say, wow, what an amazing window. What do you do with the window? You look through it. And so in our welcoming, in our being, are you ready for this? Fully present, making eye contact in a conversation. Can we just put up our phones for a conversation? When we do that, when we pray with someone, when we give an encouraging word, when we serve someone, when we extend generosity to someone, when we share a meal, whatever it is that we're doing, in all of these things, we are helping people see through each of those acts to see how good and great and glorious our God is. And so when you think about it in those terms, and I hope you will think about it in those terms, there are endless everyday opportunities. Let me say that again. Endless everyday opportunities to bring glory and honor to God by how we live our lives. When we withdraw from people, we are consciously choosing to minimize the glory of God through our lives. But when we move toward, and when we walk through the junk together, and when we love and forgive one another, when we bear with one another, when we blow it, in all of these things, we are helping people see through in order to glorify Him. And so it's my prayer, as we move forward as a church family, and as we do this thing every Sunday, and then as we launch our groups in a couple of weeks, that this is the kind of posture, this is the kind of heart disposition that we would have that manifests itself in our everyday actions of selfless love and open arms with that one ambition to glorify God. And guess what happens when we do? and I hope you believe this, and I hope that you can see it with me by faith, is that all of the sudden, this community, this people known as Redemption Hill Church, will start to hear an echo of a sound resounding throughout the streets of Medford and throughout the streets of Somerville and Everett and Malden and Arlington and Winchester and Woburn, and you fill in the blank where you live, that God is glorious, and I should want in on that because it is so good, so good, so good. And so I just want to invite you to pray with me as the team comes back up to lead us in a couple of songs. I want to invite you in these moments just to simply articulate to God and say, God, help me make this my one ambition in life. God, thank you for how you've welcomed me with open arms. And perhaps today you need to take that first step into a relationship with Jesus to say, God, thank you for opening your arms to me. I am receiving the salvation that you offer me through Christ. If that's you, then confess that, articulate that to God even now. But for all of us, let's enter into a time of prayer. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes and just however God has spoken to you, just begin to pray into it, right? 
We're permeable beings. We're receiving today. Receiving not just from God, some guy with a microphone, but receiving from God himself. He's speaking to us. He's shouting to us. This is what I have for you. So pray as God leads you, as I lead us in prayer. So God, we ask, we ask that you would move us to see how you have loved us so selflessly, so generously, and that God, we would turn around and we would do the same for one another. So God, would you Would you empower us? Would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us to press on for the everyday opportunities in our our relationships, in our workplaces? When we're scrolling on social media, we can drop some encouragement so that for their endurance, God, whatever it is, especially as we start groups, God, I pray that every person, and I'm not just saying that because that's what a pastor should say, God, I am specifically praying that every person in here today will resolve right now to say, I am not going to miss out on the opportunity to be welcomed and to welcome someone by jumping in a group this fall. That we would resolve right now, make that decision, God, move us into your heart so that we would bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.